Last week we began this two-part message on the vision of Cornerstone Assembly of God. And we titled it, Building Together a Harbor of Hope. So if you missed last week, go online, podcast, you can go old school, they have CDs in the back. Um, or I can just email you over the message notes from last week. But you need to hear um, last week, this week. Uh, again, let me just remind you, this message is due to our current situation. The children have outgrown their rooms, and we are rapidly outgrowing our room as adults in the sanctuary. And so we are looking like this is the time to build and to build an addition. But in order to do that, we need to be ready to sacrifice in order to build. And it's all hands on deck. So are we ready to sacrifice in order to build? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to understand what the vision is. What are we building for? What are we working towards? So once we understand that, then you can say, yes, all hands on deck. Yes, I'm in. Yes, I'll sacrifice. I made this statement last week. Vision is a very powerful intangible with it, men can conquer the world, but without it, man cannot even conquer himself. You need to have a vision, not only for the church and the direction where we're going, but for yourself, for your own life. Remember, this is not about the things you can see and touch. This is not all there is in life. This is not what you were created for, just the the tangible things that you can grab a hold of. They're all fleeting. They're going to burn away. But the everlasting things. I mean, the message that Sharon uh, gave this morning was exactly what we stated in the prayer room before service. You know, I heard it over and over again. God says, I'm there. I'm there. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. And I'll inhabit your praises. Praise me, praise me. And don't try to disqualify yourself. But keep your eyes on the reason, the reason, the vision, and that's to feed his sheep, to take care of his little lambs, to go out and be about his mission, his vision. That was a freebie. It had nothing to do with this. Anyway, yes, it did. Anyway, the vision. The vision of Cornerstone Assembly of God, and it's stated on your bulletin, Cornerstone Assembly of God strives to be a life-saving station of healthy disciples fulfilling the Great Commission. If we don't understand this vision, which determines the direction of the church, we cannot, we will not be able to connect to it. Unless we are connected together in the vision, we can't move ahead. We can't grow. We can't produce food. You ever seen a body try to move in separate directions? I mean, I've got a couple fingers that kind of want to head the other way. And I, and I look at it and think, what are you doing? You're supposed to go that way. I think we were praying that way over your toe, right, Sher Sheree? Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's got one toe that's heading this way. It's like, hey, get in line. We're going this way. You don't want to be a thorn in the flesh. You don't want to be a part of the body that's disjointed and causing it to get confused and go in the wrong direction. We have to be connected together. We have to understand. We have to know what the vision is. We have to all be on board and work together as a body to accomplish what God's called us to do. That produces fruit. That produces a harbor of hope where we can bring in the brokenhearted, those that are needing that hope, and be able to connect them with Jesus. Christ, their Lord, their Savior, their healer, the lover of their soul. So today I want to focus on the word together in the aspect of building a harbor of hope. So let's look over at John chapter 17. Jesus is in the garden, prayed for himself, prayed for his disciples, and then starting in verse 20, 
he begins to pray for us, for all believers. He says, my father is not for them alone, them the disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Look at some of these powerful statements he makes in those few verses. Verse 20, 21, it says that all of them may be one. Be one. Not just act like we're one. Not just pretend that we're in unity but to be one, just as God and Jesus are one. Do you understand that? He's saying that we, we, are supposed to be as one, just like God and Jesus are one. Verse 22, Jesus gave us the glory. Jesus gave us. Us, the glory that God gave him so that we may be one. That's important right there. How can we be one? By knowing who you are. I am the glory of God. The same glory that he gave Jesus. Jesus said, now I give them my glory that you gave me, God, I give to them so that they can be one. Verse 23. Then they will be brought into complete unity. Complete unity. Then, then the world will know God loves them. Just because you say it doesn't mean much. When they can see it, then they understand it. The church is labeled for being a bunch of hypocrites. Uh, I hear it all the time when I ask people who have never or haven't been to church for a long time, oh, they're just a bunch of, you know, righteous, you know, people that will just judge me, you know, they don't want me there. Because the body hasn't taken their place as being one with each other. Receiving that position of God's glory on them so that they can be one together in complete unity. And then the world will know God loves them. Then the world will know. Have you ever walked into a place and not felt welcome right away? It's what most visitors feel like when they walk into a place. That you're a family, you're knit together, and they're an outsider. How will they know that God loves them? When we're in complete unity. When we walk with that glory that God gave Jesus. Jesus said, I give them so that they can be in complete unity. Complete unity. Walking in my glory. Now we're not looking inward, what do I need, what do I need, what do I need? We want to fulfill what God needs, what God wants, what God desires. And we look out, we search out those that don't know God's love. 
and it radiates through us. That's what that glory is. It radiates through us, his love. They can't explain it, but when they walk into a place where there is unity, when they are one with God, they feel that love before anybody says a word. That's when we know we're in complete unity. Verse 24, Jesus wants us to be with him, get this, with him where he is. Where's Jesus? He's at the right hand of the Father. He lives now to intercede for us. So where does he want us? With him. Who should we intercede for? All those that aren't with them yet. We should ever live to intercede for those who need to come in to that unity and to be drawn into Jesus with God at the right hand. It says, Jesus says, I want them to be with me where I am and to see my glory. To see my glory. You ever see something and then walk away and you've got to tell somebody you've seen it? Don't we do that when we see an accident? Driving down the road? First people, and matter of fact, I know some of you do this and you're not supposed to do this. You probably just go, hey Siri, call my husband for me. Brian, I just passed this accident. You'll never believe the car was upside down and oh. When we see something, we want to tell somebody about it. When we just feel something, we're kind of like, I think and I feel. and mm. But when we see something, we can't help but tell other people about it. Jesus wants you to see his glory so that you can't help but tell other people. Do you know where I was Sunday? Do you know what I seen Sunday? You know where I was Monday before I even went to work? During my devotions, it was like this light just came on and all of a sudden, you know, I was just like in God's presence. When you see something, you can't help but want to tell people about it. Jesus says, I want you right where I am. Right where I am. Interceding right to the Father on behalf of all those who need to be right where I am. Right beside the Father. And I want you to see my glory so that you can't help but be a witness. Be a witness. I was a witness to something a lot greater than that accident down the road. That I might be with him, see his glory. And then verse 26, Jesus said, I have made you known, God. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known. I've been married, is it 28 years? 27? He knows. It's felt like 28. No, I'm just kidding. And I'm still learning things about him. I'm still learning things. Now, if I was to say I do, at which we had an I do right here, Saturday, right? If I was to say I do and then put him at arm's length and said, now I know all about you, don't want to know anything more. I want to keep this relationship. I want to keep this ring. I like this ring. Oh, see, and it kind of dances in the light. I like the ring. I love you. But stay right there, and I'll come visit you once a week, and I'll give you a little kisses on your face. Mwah, mwah, mwah. But don't share any more about yourself. I don't need to know anything more. I know all I need to know. That's not a relationship. God says, I want an intimate relationship with you. I want to be so in love with you and you so in love with me that I can continue to make myself known to you. And actually, it says it's to the glory of a king that he hides things, right? That he searches things out. We, God's a God that hides himself and all his glory. And he says, you know, if you just come a little closer, I'll show you a little more. And did you know this about me? And did you know this about me? And we go, oh, I didn't know that. And you just fall more and more in love with him. Oh, 
I didn't realize that. When you let him show you, Jesus says, I've made you known to them, but I will continue to make you known to them. But we have to have our ears open, our eyes open, and our hearts open to say, show me, show me more of you, God. Show me more of you. The Full Life Study Bible expounds on these scriptures. It says, the unity that Jesus prayed for was not organizational unity, but spiritual unity based upon living in Christ, knowing and experiencing the love of the Father, and the fellowship of Christ, separation from worldly desire, sanctification in truth, receiving and believing the truth of the word, obedience to the word, and the desire to bring salvation to the lost. When any one of these factors is missing, the true unity that Jesus prayed for cannot exist. There's so much to that word unity together with him that they may be one as we, Jesus said, are one. Jesus does not pray for his followers to become one, but rather that they may be one. This represents an ongoing action, continually be one, continually be being one. A oneness based on their common relationship to the Father and Son and on having the same basic attitude toward the world, the word, and the need to reach out to the lost. It is a spiritual unity of heart, purpose, mind, and will in those who are fully devoted to Christ to fulfill His vision, His mission for us individually corporately as a body, and missionally to reach the world. Over this, this last year I've been here, I've been writing down some, I called them DNAs, the very core um, factors, elements of Cornerstone. Over observation and inspiration, I've come up with these pillars of how we fulfill the vision of Cornerstone Assembly of God. I've noticed, number one, that we value the presence of God in worship, in the Word, and at the altar. And you can call it honor. I wanted to replace that with just honor, but it's more than that. We long for, we desire, and then when we feel that His presence is here, that we want to honor it respect it so we value the presence of God we equip believers from kids to adults we feel a great desire need compulsion to equip all believers we inspire each other to godly living spurring one other one another on we inspire to godly living. We're mission-minded, not just in our resources, our financial resources, but also in action that we support, we do, and we send. We're extravagant givers. We believe in going above and beyond what we can do. And we believe for what only God can do. And then the last part of the DNA of Cornerstone I wrote down is that we are intentional in protecting the unity of the body through authentic relationships. And that's the one I want to focus on today. Intentional in protecting the unity of the body. We cannot have unity without intentional action in maintaining it. Ephesians 4, 2 through 3 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. In verse 3, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Infers that we must be actively doing something 
We can't set back, wish for, and hope that people will keep from being offended and will not harbor bitterness over an issue. We must take action. Do something to right the wrong. Repair a broken spot on the wall. If you know there is strife, hurt, confusion, or misunderstanding within this family of believers, do something to fix it. A breached dam begins with a small crack. But you have to do something to fix it. I mean, over and over again. Remember, God says, if you come to the altar and you've done something against someone, leave it. Go fix it. Don't you? What, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You need to be right here before you come here. And then he said, if you're up here and you think, oh, you, knew, you know that sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so has something against you, leave that offering. Don't even, you, stop singing the song. Go make it right with them. Then come back here. I had a pastor that used to drive me crazy. It seemed like twice a year he would preach a message about that, you know, using that scripture. But if you have something against somebody or you feel somebody has something against them, you need to go make it right. And he would give time right in his message. So this body, big, large body, you see all these people get up and start walking. And I remember the first time, I think I was in the sound booth, and somebody comes knocking on the I open the door, and they're like, I need to talk to you. And I went, oh, crap. And he explained to me that he was jealous and bitter over the relationship I had with the pastor. I'm like, so I remember, yeah, that's okay, and yeah, whatever, and okay, and prayed with him, and, you know, he went off, and I'm thinking, okay, there's not much I could do about that, you know. The next message pastor prayed, I'm thinking, oh, no. And everybody gets up, and they're walking over, and I started praying, Jesus, don't let that same guy come to me. Don't let him. I think I was in the sound booth again, and he came in. When he opened the door and I saw his face, I said, really? Is it the same thing? He said, yeah. I said, what do you expect me to do about that? What can I do about that? How can I fix this so I'm not offensive to you? He says, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. Why does, why does it keep... I keep stumbling over the same thing. I said, well, for one thing, you need to stop coming to me. I, there's nothing I can do to fix that in you. You have something that I didn't, you know, if I would have done something, if I would have been like snobbing him and say, oh, don't go after him, you know, and, you know, or leave him out of it or something. I said, you need to, I said, let me pray with you right now. We really need to get a hold of this. Because it was hindering his relationship with the Lord. See, if he would have never came to me, you know, of course, I was, you know, in the flesh. Just a little. But, I mean, we had, to, and I told him, buddy, I'm going to stand with you. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. This is a stronghold, and it's got to be broken. Because it's keeping you from going on with God. So, you know, I will. And then I brought the pastor in. Because, remember, you go once, and nothing changes. You bring somebody out. And I brought the pastor, and I said, can we just... You know, I don't want to tailor to that offense. I don't want to coddle that offense by, you know. I said, but we need to stand with you and break that. But there was no reason for him to keep going up to the altar until he came and tried to fix things. Do you understand? But if you're going to the same person over and over and over again, like they're your problem, And maybe you go over to this person, and now it's this person. They're your problem. They're your problem. They're your problem. Maybe it, you're the problem. You know, and let me just balance those statements. I know I went all the way from this side and then all the way back to this side. But when God said, when Jesus said, when you have something against somebody at the altar, that means sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so did something that I didn't like, and now I'm holding on to it and harboring it against them. Now, if they don't know they did it, I would say ask yourself some questions first. Now, if, and let me just share. 
I've got a great family. My mom, my dad, my sister. Great. We've got a great relationship. We don't always agree on everything. As a matter of fact, I think that's what makes great relationships is when there's diversity in the relationship. And we've said things that have hurt each other. We've done things that were just stupid things. But we share it. We talk about it. We forgive it. We forget it. We go on. We don't leave each other. We don't ignore each other. We don't, you know, give them the cold shoulder. Well, you hurt my feelings. They don't have to guess if I'm upset or not. Because if I'm upset, I come to them and I say, hey, what you said upset me. Why, why would you say that? And usually it's misunderstanding, miscommunication. Because can a Christian, can a true Christian purposely hurt somebody else? Not supposed to, that's right. Because could you imagine Jesus, if we're supposed to have the same attitude as Jesus being a little Christ, purposely doing stuff just to hurt you? No. So usually it's misunderstanding, miscommunication. But if you have something, if you got hurt, and that person is clueless that they hurt you, that's where he says, now go to them and talk it out. Otherwise you're given place to the enemy. You're giving him a foothold in your life that says, hold on to that, harbor that. Don't let anybody get that close to you again because that's hurt. You'll get hurt. That's why God says, leave it. Whatever you're doing, just leave it and go make it right with him. But if you're constantly going to this person and that, per that person offended me, that person offended me, and I can sit here and count how many people have offended me, Maybe you need to ask some of those people, can you just pray with me? For some reason, I'm getting easily offended. And I know it's not you. I know it's not you. I know, you know, I know it's something in me. God must be pointing something out in me, and I need help. Could you please pray with me? Because I don't want to be. And most people that take offense easily are insecure people. And we are not called to be an insecure person. We are called to be bold warriors, more than conquerors. And we can't do that if we're setting, oh, woe is me, in a corner, all hurt because sisters or brother so-and-so did this or that to me. Anyway, but make every effort means go fix it. Don't just pray for it and hope that it will go away. Make every effort. Take action. And we are intentional in protecting the unity of the body through authentic relationships. And most of us grow up and we don't even know what an authentic relationship is. Because we've been raised in a broken home. We've been around people who have lived through broken situations. And we think the best way to make it in this world is just take care of myself. And Sally's encouragement to us this morning through the Lord was stop trying to take care of yourself. God says, trust me with you. Trust me with you. Authentic relationships consist of an honest, open transparency that's only outcome is to rebuild restore what's broken an authentic relationship is what you have to have with Jesus is it not can you come to him and say you know what again you know hey you know I want to be in a love relationship with you but um, you can't have my whole heart I'll give you this piece and you can access that piece of my heart once a week that's okay but don't squeeze it too hard because I don't want to, you know, snout or blubber or dance or shake or raise my hand. That's not okay. I don't want to do that. An authentic relationship means that it's all. I'm all in. I'm all in. You have it all. Go ahead. David prayed over and over again. Search me and know me, God. That even my desires... And the motives of my heart will be pure before you. That's deep. Know every thought that every intention even of my heart 
will be pure before you. So an authentic relationship with each other means I'll be open and honest. Not an open air discussion of my opinion. Not an open air discussion of my offense so that everybody knows who offended me and how they hurt me. And the opinion part, authentic open relationships means that I'll share. Again, the end result is to repair or restore something that's broken. So an authentic relationship, being open and honest, means that I will give my input, my opinion, if it's going to lead to something being fixed, repaired, restored, built. But not to tear down, not to slander, not to demean someone or something. Remember, when you want to open up in transparent relationships, it's in building, rebuilding, restoring, fixing, building up, lifting up, encouraging. If it's anything other than that, it needs to go straight back to hell where it probably came from. Because slander is a sin. Slander means I'm saying something about somebody else and it's going to hurt their character. Um, that perfume that so-and-so wears. You know, I'm sitting in a restaurant having a cup of coffee with my friend. And I said, oh, did you smell that perfume that so-and-so wears? Thanks. I didn't like that. Is that uplifting, encouraging, building up, fixing, restoring, repairing something that's broke? No. So an authentic, open relationship is not that I can tell my girlfriend or my guy friend anything I want to about anybody I want to. That's not what I'm talking about. An authentic relationship has only one purpose. And that's to build up, encourage, exhort, fix what's broken, or restore what's broken. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, so who's he talking to? The believers. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I love it. Even he knew how to sandwich that. You know, I got something to tell you here. <laughs> You're not going to like this part, so let me put some frosting on top and put it on top of a brownie, and then I'll feed it to you. You know, we'll put the vegetables right there in the middle just for you, Denny, okay? Frosting on top, brownie on the bottom. I could eat my vegetables that way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has have has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You better be forgiving others as I forgave you. If you harbor unforgiveness, bitterness, an offense, then Jesus says, then why can't I do that to you? I want you to forgive as I forgave you. Bearing with each other. Gentleness, patience, compassion. Now, I'm not saying that I've never been offended or hurt. Or that you develop some kind of thick skin the longer you've been a Christian. It doesn't happen. Um, hopefully... As you mature in the Lord, um, like I, I'm realizing that I'm striving toward developing uh, actions that respond and not react. That my actions, when I am offended, when I am hurt, when somebody does say something or do something, that I'm not defensive in it, that I don't grab a hold of it. I mean, you got to think about it. An offense or a hurt is like something floating to the air that you grab a hold of and pull in. Or you can look at it. Now, that's, you see, and that's what I'm talking about because it hurts the minute that it happens. Somebody says something, does something, whatever. It feels like a ding in your armor. You know, oh, that hurt. 
Why would they say that? Why would they do that? Instead of looking at it and saying, does that really matter? What they said, what they did. Is it something I need to go back to them and talk to them about? I'm so sorry. Was there a misunderstanding? You know, you know, I think maybe there's something wrong. You know, I, I want to restore that. Did, did you mean to say that or do that? You know, that's fixing it. That's restoring it. Or you can look at it and say, it's not even worth saying anything about. That is so minor. You know, and just kind of push that little bubble that's floating in the air right along. Just keep moving along, move along, little doggy, move along. I'm not even going to take you in. Have nothing. Give it the hand. There it goes. I'm not even going to think on that one. That's tough. Because our, our human nature wants to digest it. Let's just tear it apart here. Let's see. Let's look what that kind of person. I know what he does or I know what she does. And they said that about me. Now I've grabbed a hold of that and pulled that in. And I've actually started making files in my filing cabinet about, you know, let's see about this person. Let's, oh, yeah, look what this person did. Look what they, I've got it right here. I've got all this record of what they've done and who they are. And they say that about me. And then I lock it away. And then the next time I come in church, I'm doing one of these numbers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now who's going to say something? Are you looking at me like that? See? Open, authentic relationships. When they have those things happen, which they'll happen. Come on. We're all living and doing life together. We're supposed to be a family. We're supposed to be one. So every once in a while, I look down at, you know, a toe. I told you about that before. It cramps in your toes and that toe heads that way. I look down there. What are you doing? Get in line. Not supposed to go that way. That hurts. Right? But then we come to the body and say, boy, I think that our relationship is going sideways. Did I do something? I'm so sorry. Did I say something? Really didn't mean to. Yeah, you walked by me the other day, and I said hi, and you walked right by me, and I thought, you know, you must not love me anymore. You know, well, that wasn't in my heart at all. I'm so sorry. See, the end result to repair, restore. Authentic, open relationships. Not about airing our opinions or rallying those that have been offended by that same person. So that we can all be offended together. Keep yourself from breaking the unity of the body. By reading James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill? You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight about it. Well, I wanted the carpet this color. They made it that color. Can you believe they did that? What do you think? What color would you paint the walls? I wouldn't have painted it yellow or whatever this color is. I don't know. I wouldn't have done that. Would you have done that? Well, no one. Did you see their little toilet paper holder? It keeps popping off all the time. What are we supposed to do about that when the toilet paper goes rolling around? The, no, I can't go after it. You know, can you believe they did that? Why did they do that? What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they battle from what's inside you? You want what you want. Don't that sound like a little two-year-old? I want what I want. I want a candy bar now. I don't want to eat my veggies, Denny. I don't want to. But what's best? You know, to keep the unity, you have to be careful. I have to be careful that when I am thinking about things I don't like, when I see things I don't like, when things are done that I would do differently, I need to start asking myself some questions. What is this 
thing that's causing strife inside of me? Is it legitimate? Is it a legitimate concern that needs to be addressed? Where is it coming from? Is this thing more about what I want or what's best for the whole body? I have to make decisions sometime with the, you know, with the deacon board and um, myself. Of course, I've got a great deacon board. Thank you, Pastor Neil. Um, that I can't look at just what one individual likes. I have to make this, or just what I like. I have to make decisions on what would be best for the entire body. And you know me, you voted me in. And I told you before you voted that I will always be more concerned about the person that's not in that seat yet. Because you're already in the boat. So if you're a believer, I'm more concerned about those that aren't believers yet. Because they're still bobbing in the ocean. They still need to be rescued, pulled into the boat. So my decisions and the decisions of the board is always about those that are still out there that we need to prepare for, get ready for, you know, focus on, equip for. That's our focus. So is this thing more about what I want? Or is it about what's best for the whole body? So in order to build a harbor of hope here at Cornerstone, we must do it together, brick upon brick. All working together. The last verse I have for you today is 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. I love this scripture. So important for us today. It says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You all are living stones being built together to make a spiritual household. I've got on this table these little Lego blocks. When the last two boys came into our house, we adopted um, Tyler. I don't even think he was one years old, maybe just one. Um, he came in with a handful of Legos. That's all he had. And that boy has not let go of those Legos. As a matter of fact, every time he asks for something, gift, whatever, it's always Legos. Right, Jacob? It's always Legos. It's always Legos. His room is usually covered with Legos until I say, get that going up. And then he puts it in all these buckets and piles the buckets. Isn't that what we was doing last night? Couldn't even get in his room to get to bed. They're in there at almost 11 o'clock at night picking up Legos so we could walk through his bedroom to put him to bed. But when you look at just a Lego all by itself, oh, isn't that nice? We're all a piece of this great building. We are a living stone, it's called. But it can only become all that it's created to be when it's stuck and connected with the others. It then can be a great, holy sanctuary, a living house a spiritual house, brick upon brick, living stones. We are the building blocks of this spiritual house with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Last week we discussed taking up faith promises, which at the end of the service right now, Ushers, if you have, if you don't have a faith promise card, I want it in your hand right now. Or if you brought it back from last week, put it in your hand. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand and an usher will get you one right now. 
We discussed a few weeks ago that the best thing we can do to make sure that everyone is doing their part and connecting together is to put out these faith promise cards, giving everyone an opportunity to build together. And let me do this. Let me just explain real quickly. Let me be brief. A couple things about a faith promise. It's not a contract. It's not like the old phone contract where if you break it, you know, we're coming to take your phone. Or you're going to pay a penalty, (laughs) an early termination fee. It's not a contract. Um, It's between you and God, but it helps us as a board to determine the level of commitment of a body to a project. It really does. We will take these up. We will count them up tomorrow. Tomorrow night we have a board meeting and we'll be able to see, you know, where, where's the level of commitment to this building project that we're looking at. Um, number three, that it is not about equal gifts, but it is about equal sacrifice. Remember when Jesus in the Bible shared a time when Jesus went with his disciples to the back of the sanctuary, to the back of the temple, and sat beside the offering plate and watched people come in and put in their offering. And the only one that caught his attention and he directed his disciples, hey, did you just see that? Was the one widow that walked in with her two pennies, if you will, and dropped it in the offering. Why did that impress him? As a matter of fact, the scripture goes on about, you know, these rich people came in and was dropping, you know, these big checks in there. But the one that caught his attention was the widow with the two pennies. Again, if you will, I'm just making up that it was two pennies worth. And said because she gave out of her need. She gave what made a difference in her life. That I'll sacrifice, I'll give you out of my knee, not out of my abundance. And just, I can give this, so that I'll give. I don't want this. You ever have somebody give you a gift, and they actually said, I really don't want this. Here, you want this? (laughs) Or worse yet, it was a birthday present. They slapped a bow on it, and while you're opening it, and you're almost getting excited when you notice, I think this has been opened before. You hear them tell somebody else, yeah, somebody gave that to me a while ago, and I didn't like it. It's a gift, not equal. Not equal. Like, you know, if somebody, you accidentally see their check going in, and it's, you know, $1,000 or $10,000, and you say, well, hey, I only have $10 or $100, you know, what can I do? It's equal sacrifice, not equal gifts. It's what that, that widow's might, it was called. God judges our work and ministry not by its size or influence or success, but by the amount of sincere dedication, sacrifice, faith, and love involved in it. There's more to giving a gift than just the gift itself. And because I'm a gift, my love language is gifts. It's all about everything else connected to that gift. That you thought ahead. Oh, your birthday's coming up next month. Let me think ahead. It was about the planning involved. It was about the sacrifice involved. It was about how it was presented. It's, you know. A hundred aspects of that gift. And that's what Jesus is trying to draw our attention to. And four, it must be filled with faith. You can't have a faith promise without faith being involved in it. Commit to do what you can do, but promise to believe for what only God can do. You might not think your little can do anything, but in God's hands, it can do much. Remember about the little boy and his lunch that fed a multitude? Do you think when his mom was packing him the lunch that day, she thought, is there enough in here for a multitude? 
No. But when she gave it to the little boy, and the little boy sitting along, all those people, and I believe he started hearing the chatter of the disciples about, we need to feed these people. What are we going to feed these people with? Something welled up within him and says, take mine. Take all that I have. It's yours. And then Jesus said, bring here. That's it. Right there. That's it. That little is going to become much because he's put it in my hand. After meeting with the deacons and pastors last month to discuss the building fund, what we had in the building fund and this building project that, you know, we got 36000 some dollars in the building fund and we're looking at an addition that's $300,000 um, on the calculator going off in my mind. We met, we left. A couple days later, Amy texted me. Hope this is okay. Maybe I should ask your permission to read this before. If you give me something, just know I'm going to share it with everybody. No, I'm just kidding. 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 Just Amy's stuff. Anyway, she texts me. She sent me this text. It said, I was reading in Matthew 16, and Jesus was saying to his disciples, why are you still worrying about bread? I felt like I was supposed to read it again, and when I did, I heard this little song. There's more than enough bread, more than enough for all you need. Do you trust me? I've multiplied your bread before. Well, three days later, it's still running through my head night and day. I can't hardly think of anything else. So I wanted to tell you, I feel like God is singing it over our new building addition. And because he's in it, the labor will not be in vain. I'm believing the money we have for the building fund is going to multiply in the hands of God. That's where faith comes in. When you give your sack lunch, when you give your two pennies out of your need, out of your love, and you put it in the hands of God, he'll multiply it. We will never realize what God has planned for us if we don't factor God into our plans. And I put this on your little faith promise card. Let's stop just doing what we can do and step into what only God can do. So allow me to pray for you as you're filling out your faith promise card. This is for the next year. So it's a one-year commitment. I want to pray for you. And then after I get done praying, I want you to come up here. Drop in your offering. If you've came, and that's what we talked about last week, bring an offering that's going to be like a seed planted into the building fund, whatever it is. And maybe you, you're new here today and you didn't hear it last week or maybe you missed last week and you're just hearing it for the first time. Pull something out, even if it's two pennies, out of your need. And say, here it is, and drop it in this bucket along with your faith promise card. Pick up one of these Legos. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your purse. Tape it on your refrigerator or on your mirror, whatever you visit most, as a reminder that I am a living stone, a part of this building, and I commit to being connected to this body and this building for God's glory. So after I get done praying, I want you to bring up those offerings, bring up your faith promise cards, drop them in this bucket, and pick up a Lego piece as a reminder. Father, we just thank you, God, for the opportunity that you've given us right now, God, to step into a miracle, a miracle, Lord, that you're building here at 15505 Cinder Road, a harbor of hope that will come into fruition, that will be built when we build together, Lord, when we be one, when we finally commit to being one, as you, Jesus, and the Father are one. We commit today to be one so that 
those, the world, will know you love them. You said it in your word. They'll know your love for them by the love we have for each other. And Lord, right now, as these offerings are being prepared, as these seeds are getting ready to be planted, that we lay it in your hands, God, that you, Lord, would multiply it 30, 60, 90, 100 fold for your glory, for your glory. We'll do our part, God. But we're putting you in. We're factoring you into these plans because it's only you that matters. It's your glory. It's for your glory. It's your vision. It's your mission. We live to fulfill, God. And so right now, God, we just lay these in your hand and ask for you to bless them and multiply them. That our little, our little becomes much. And you're a God of more than enough. More than enough we just call that into existence right now that we'll have more than enough through you for your glory to do all you're asking us to do God thank you thank you come on up and do that drop in your offering drop in your faith promise cards pick up that Lego piece and then I want you to go on we're gonna move right into ministry time so stay up here at the altar and just worship with us just seek God Maybe you've come and you need a healing. Maybe you've come and you had a broken relationship. Maybe during that message you you were awakened to somebody that you need to go and make things right with. Go and make things right. Repair, restore, rebuild. Father, we just keep our attention focused on you, God. It's for your glory, your glory. Altar team, I want you to work your way up here. Stay up here and begin praying with people. We've got plenty of time for ministry. Ministry up here. Come on. He's roaring with power. Yes.